Friends, will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus Christ, please be our guest, our morning joy, and our evening rest. And with this weekly word in part, your grace and truth into our hearts. All this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. There's something beautiful about a baptism. A baptism where we in faith come before the Lord and God gives his gospel gifts to one of our young people, to one of our children. This gift of love, this gift of faith, this gift of grace and mercy, this gift of promise that he is going to be with them and bless them that he'll never leave them or forsake them, and that he has already gone ahead of him to prepare a place for eternity. That is the power and promise of our Lord through his word in this sacrament of baptism. That is what Baker received. That is what you have received, my friends. And sometimes we forget that. And so we gather together week in and week out to hear God's word, to sing songs of faith, to remind ourselves and to, to display to each other who we are, and more importantly, whose we are, that we belong to God. One of the songs that I remember singing when I was a young person, and then later on um, in youth group, and even uh, as I was uh, working in camp ministry through the summers, and of course now I get to sing it with all kinds of ages and stages of children, being a pastor here at St. Lawrence, is this song. It's, My God is so great. If you know the words and you know the tune, please sing along. If you know the actions... You can also do the actions with me. I know you want to. Here we go. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Clap, clap. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the skies are his handiwork too. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do for you. Nicely done, thank you. Don't you feel good after singing that song? It kind of encourages you in the faith, it puts a little pep in your step, it reminds you of the power and promises of God. And as we sing this, especially with our younger people, our preschoolers, you see them sing this song with such gusto with such excitement, with such joy in their little hearts. And of course, you know, some of the preschool boys get a little, okay, but it's good. It's good because it testifies to a God who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, who is all-loving and chooses to use his attributes for our benefit, for our blessing. And we see this faith expressed through children, and through children's songs, and through Bible stories, and through little chapel times, and it's a beautiful thing. And I'd love to just be in those kind of moments and stay there forever. And yet, as we grow and we change, we look around the world and things change. And sometimes our faith changes too in reaction to what we see around us in the world and also in reaction to what we experience ourselves in our own lives. And sometimes the boldness that I used to have singing those kinds of thong, songs doesn't come across. I start to doubt. I start to worry. I start to become afraid. And then I start to wonder. And the things that make me wonder, again, they're all around us. And we have experienced some of these things even in the last two years. Consider COVID. 
In the United States of America, it was reported that about a million people passed away due to COVID or COVID-related concerns. 38,000 in the state of Michigan alone. Consider the war on Ukraine, Russia's invasion, taking the lives of 14,000 Ukrainians and also 3,000 civilians. Consider Hurricane Ian, which came through and over 100 lives lost, hundreds of thousands of people displaced and millions and millions of dollars in property damage. A little closer to home, last fall, at Oxford High School, Oxford, Michigan. Ethan Crumbly shoots and kills four students, injures seven, including one teacher. It doesn't take long for faith to be shaken, for doubt to enter in, for worries and concerns to overwhelm us and to fear to rise up in us. The Global Peace Index is something that is uh, using 23 factors of safetyness, and response for about 99.7% of the world. And as they do their studies, they rate the amount of peace and prosperity that various nations exhibit. And as you can see from the screen, you have regions in the world that are in the red. That's not so good. It's more dangerous there, less peaceful, more violent. You see the green countries in the world, they're doing all right. There's more peace in those areas. And you see the United States of America, what color are we? We're yellow, we're medium, we're somewhere in the middle regarding our state of peace. From this study, they've, said, they've reported that in the last 20 years, things have actually become more violent. And that we're just a tick up from 2020, if you can believe that. All sorts of reasons for us to be worried and concerned for fear to overwhelm our faith. And it's these kinds of measures and it's these kinds of moments and it's these kinds of observations from, from all over the world that interject doubt about the integrity of God. People often doubt the existence of God, the power of God, or the heart of God when they encounter evil, suffering, injustice, or wickedness in the world. And these kinds of things can actually end up chaining our faith. And these doubts seem to center on one pivotal question. If God is really God, wouldn't he do something about the evil, suffering, violence, and injustice that we encounter in this world? It's often the number one asked question in opposition to the Christian faith. If you believe in God, and you believe that this God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, which we do, then why doesn't he do something about this or that, or the other? Why doesn't he do something about my life and my situation, my family and my friends, or all of this that's happening in the world? It was a question that we ask. It's also a question that Habakkuk asked. Habakkuk the prophet. He was working and ministering in the northern kingdom of Judah in the late 7th century BC. His contemporaries were Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. He seemed to be a well-known prophet at the time, even though right now we don't know a whole lot about him historically. But he did share his message during the final days of the Assyrian Empire and the beginning of Babylonia's rise to power. God's people, as it were, were in between conquering kingdoms of Assyrian Babylon, 
attempting to gain power and control of the region. And Habakkuk sees this injustice. He sees the wickedness, not just of these other nations, but sometimes of his own people. And he also is trying to call them to repentance, to return to the Lord. And Habakkuk has a prayer for the Lord. He has a complaint for the Lord. He has a question for the Lord. And that question is this, Lord, how long? How long, Lord, will you allow evil to go unchecked? How long, Lord, will you not punish wickedness of other people? How long, Lord, before you restore your people and make us right before you? In the midst of these dark days of the people of Judah, as the prophet cried out for divine intervention, God's plan to answer Habakkuk's heartfelt cry was to send another nation in and battle the Israelites. So after Habakkuk asks this of the Lord, the Lord says, well, I am doing something about it, but first I've got to do something else. I'm going to send the Chaldeans in to attack the northern kingdom of Judah where you live and minister. Not quite the answer Habakkuk was looking for. And so Habakkuk questions God, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflicts abound. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And then Habakkuk pauses and says, I still will stand at my watch. And station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk, even in the midst of all that is happening around him, is losing heart, but he's not losing faith. He's not renouncing the Lord because he doesn't see the Lord act. He's just wondering when the Lord will act. And God hears this prophet. And Yahweh, the Lord God, responds to Habakkuk. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The revelation of what will happen awaits its time. And my action will also come. But you're going to have to wait for it. I know, friends, we want the answer to come now. And we understand that God will answer our prayers and he usually answers yes or no or wait. And sometimes we just like God to say maybe no so we could kind of move on with life or at least we'd know what direction we're headed or what's going to happen. But God sometimes says, I'm going to ask you to wait. It might not happen in your time, but it will happen. It will happen in my time. For some, it's an unsatisfying answer. And it's a struggle. But this is what the Lord is responding to Habakkuk with. And this is what I believe he's calling us to as well. Listen to Habakkuk's reply. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk is not diminishing the evil and the suffering that exists and that his people are encountering. He's not ignoring it. He's not trying to explain it away. Habakkuk is acknowledging that things aren't well, that things aren't right. And yet Habakkuk is also calling on the Lord, 
the Lord God to remember who he is as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as the one who redeems and sets his people free, as the one who shows up and good stuff happens for God's people. And he's saying, Lord, remember who you are. Remember your covenant promises to your people. And Lord, even in your wrath, remember mercy and save us in our time of need. Habakkuk does not turn away from the Lord. He turns to the Lord and calls on the grace and mercy of God to act and to help even in his time. The grace and mercy of God. The grace and mercy of God. There was someone else who struggled with the grace and mercy of God, but it wasn't because of everything happening in the rest of the world. It was what was happening in his own heart and mind. His name is Martin Luther. Our church is named in part after him. He was a reformer. He wrote a lot. He spoke a lot. But Luther also struggled a lot. You see, Luther's faith in the early days was chained to a long list of spiritual disciplines that he believed he had to perform faithfully in order to gain the favor of God. And so Luther would do things like go for prolonged periods without sleep. He would deprive himself. He would endure bitter cold without cloak or blanket so that he would suffer and somehow purify himself and make himself acceptable to the Lord. He would even go so far as to whip and beat himself, something called self-flagellation, in order to purge himself of his sin and again, make him right in the sight of God. He even visited holy places that had holy things called relics and would kind of either pray or worship to them in some way and perhaps gain a blessing from one of the saints somehow. Luther did all of these things, and Luther would say, if anyone could be saved by becoming a monk and being a monk, it would be me. But Luther had a change of heart and a change of mind, a change in perspective that would unchain his faith. And it would happen with the Holy Spirit working in and through God's word to instruct Luther, to convict Luther, and to embolden Luther. As Luther studied both the Old Testament and the New Testaments of the Bible, Luther would begin to see a God who was gracious and merciful to his people without his people being perfect and just and righteous. Luther would understand that, that salvation doesn't come through obedience to the law but it comes as a gracious gift of the heavenly father to his people who he loves through the sacrifice of God's son, Jesus Christ. Luther would start to understand that that's not through rites and rituals that one is saved or made right in the sight of God. It's by the grace and mercy of God shown to us through the love and forgiveness of Christ. Luther would say this concerning his revelation about the faith He'd say, at last, meditating day and night, by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely, by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. Not only did this revelation change Luther's point of view, and his approach to the faith, but also his view of the church. For Luther, 
the church was no longer the institution defined by apostolic succession and devotion to rites and rituals. Instead, it was the community of those who belong to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been given faith. Salvation came not by the rites of the church or devotion to relics as such, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The idea that humans had a spark of goodness enough to reach out and somehow grasp for God, who was at the same time reaching down for them, was not something to be taught in theology classes, but rather by fools, Luther would say, because you could not do anything to earn or merit God's favor. Jesus Christ accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. And humility was no longer a virtue that earned grace, but a necessary response to the gift of grace. Faith no longer consisted of merely abiding by church tradition, but trusting in the promises of God and the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. In Romans 3, the Apostle Paul summarizes this grace-filled releasing of the chains of faith when he writes, when he writes, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The righteousness of God given to you and to me through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, which would lead Luther to declare that the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk said it in his prophecy in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul affirms it in the New Testament and it all centers on the person and work of the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and the prophet who has come to fulfill those prophecies and to fulfill the law in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For Luther, finally, Jesus would be enough. For Luther, finally, faith would be unchained. And that gave Luther the motivation to wait on the Lord and to boldly proclaim those Reformation principles, specifically that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You know, it's fascinating, friends. Luther would write about this. He would speak about this. He would share this. He'd also include it in his hymns. Listen to two stanzas. They're not going to be on the screens. Listen to two stanzas of A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, a hymn written by Martin Luther. And listen for the reliance on the self instead of the Savior and how that is gone away with because of faith in Christ. And listen at Luther's description of no matter what's happening in the world around us, that we still abide in hope as people who trust in God. This is stanzas two and three. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled, evil, injustice, violence, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Ladies and gentlemen, what is that name? What is that little word? Jesus. Jesus, the name above all other names. Jesus, the one who has accomplished everything necessary for our salvation, so that 
We don't have to do good works in order to merit the favor of God. Instead, those good works can be rightly positioned in our life as a response to the grace and goodness of God in our lives, all because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Eine feste Berg ist unser Gott. A mighty fortress is our God indeed, because the righteous will live by faith. Friends, Habakkuk concluded that the heart of the issue with God not responding to the violence, evil, and wickedness of his time was more about Habakkuk and his misunderstanding than it was about God and his lack of caring. And what Habakkuk would conclude is that we are to worship and serve the Lord, not because he is a God who just gives us temporal blessings when we ask him, not just because a God that sometimes responds in the immediate time frame and gives us what we want. Instead, we are to worship and serve God because of who he is, because of what he's done in the past as he's delivered his people, of how he watches over us and protects us in the present, and also because of what he's going to do in the future. Because in the future, there'll be a day when God the Son returns, Jesus Christ, and he said he'll make all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to tell us that it is finished. And when Christ returns, there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sin, no more wickedness, no more evil, no more injustice. The old order of things will have passed away. God calls us to wait for it. And so this led the prophet Habakkuk to proclaim Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Life's not going to be perfect. Life will be unjust sometimes. We will experience evil sometimes. We will see wickedness sometimes, but that will not overwhelm us. That will not cause us to be in dismay because we know the Lord and his help is on the way. Friends, may God be with you and bless you. The presence, power, and promises of our Lord who's delivered his people in the past with the perspective and the patience of the prophet Habakkuk who waits on the Lord and takes heart in the promises of God through Jesus, even as we await that time when Christ returns to restore us and to bring us to him forever. And all God's people said, amen. amen.